Hoya Community Church. Please stand and let's worship the Lord together.
need you this day. We need to feel your presence in this place, God. We ask that you would continue to be with us as we seek you this morning.
Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Hedman, and I'm on staff here. I oversee Caring Ministries and some other areas. But um, I wanted to welcome you all here to La Jolla Community Church. We love having you here. Uh, for those of you who normally go here, you know already know this, but we're an intergenerational community, uh, really just a family of families and individuals who love Jesus, and we love each other, and we love the community all around us here. So we uh, have a number of different programs that are we offer to the community and to the members of this church. But one of the things I wanted to let you know about is that we are a praying church. And if you have any prayer requests or any needs, just look inside your, your bulletin and there's a, a sort of a tearaway that you can fill out and we'll pray for you and we can meet you, meet your needs in more tangible ways as well. As caring ministry, I oversee this area. So please, if you have any needs at all, prayer or other needs, fill this out and give it to the, uh, the ushers when the offering basket comes by, and we'll, we'll get in touch with you. And also, there are, we have a few upcoming events. If This is also in your bulletin on the, the second page. There are several things that we uh, are offering. First of all, on October 12th is the fall cleanup, and it's an opportunity to uh, serve the church by doing some light maintenance around here, some cleaning and such. There'll be a, a light breakfast offer, coffee, breakfast, or bagels, rather, and some fruit, and that'll be on October 12th. Also, we have a men's camping retreat coming up, so if you like to camp and you want to get to know the men a little better here, you can, on November 9th, uh, I'm sorry, on November 1st and 2nd, join the men. And the, the information on that men's re camping retreat is uh, found in the bulletin. And lastly, and this is an area that I'm very interested in, is caring ministry. I also oversee the Young Adult Life Group. We meet every Saturday morning from 9.30 until 11. Start with uh, bagels, schmear, and the hot beverage of your choice. And we're studying the book of Acts right now. We did Acts 1 last, or uh, yesterday actually, and we're going to be doing Acts 2 next weekend. So if you'd like to learn more about the book of Acts and you're a young adult, you're welcome to join us. Actually, anyone is welcome to join us. There's a few uh, seasoned citizens that also come to that. So anybody's welcome, but it's you know, primarily for young adults. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming, and it's wonderful having you here. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are gathered here in your presence today as your humble servants to serve your almighty name. We ask today that you open our hearts so that we can receive your message on this great day. We request that no matter what your plans are, that we, uh, you make them known to us so we can carry out your will. We thank you that we are allowed to be joined here together in this house of worship, Lord, and we pray for those who are living in persecution for practicing your amazing works, Lord. We thank you that we all get to live in an amazing part of the world with great visions, O oh Lord. We pray for people who don't know where their next meal is coming from, Lord, that we can just open our hearts to them and just bless them this very week, Lord. 
We ask for your protecting hand over every school, Lord. We ask that all of your kids just be a light to those that are struggling, Lord. We pray for those today who are sick, Jesus. We pray for your healing hand to be upon them this very day. We thank you for our amazing senior pastor, Lord, that you are just over him today and that you and that you just guide him to deliver the amazing message that he has in store for us today, Father. We pray for your ble- we praise you for blessing us with Ryan's presence, Lord. We thank you so much that he is such an amazing teacher to all of us kids in your name. We thank you for all the amazing people that are here today and we praise you and we pray for them to just have a blessed week, O oh Lord. In the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Wyatt. Wyatt is the youngest pastor on our staff. Thank you. Uh, Wyatt is 15. <laughs> and uh, thank you. Well, I want to walk you through a little bit of a, a mental review, a little inventory. Who are the favorite people in your world? Who are the people that you would most love uh, to spend time with, that you have the biggest heart for? And... Uh, uh, they might be sitting next to you, and they just might not. <laughs> so, but nobody will know because it's in your head. So just think about this. Uh, if you had a day to spend with anybody, uh, somebody said, hey, you know, I got an extra plane ticket. Um, I, got, I got two seats uh, on a plane. You can take a guess wherever you want to go. Who would you invite? Going to go to a baseball game, and you know, baseball is nothing but an excuse to hang out and talk with people you like while the game's going on. Uh, who would those people be for you? Uh, they could be memory, maybe members of your family, friends, uh, whatever. Who are those people? Who are those people that you have a heart for? All right? You have that in your head? Uh, how about this? What are some of the issues for you that you immediately dial into that you think are super important? That you'd love to have more time to be involved in those issues. They could be social issues. They could be environmental issues. They could be economic issues. But you have a heart for certain things. That if somebody said, you know, if, if, if uh, you could spend all your time, what would you do? Oh, I'd love to work with animals. I'd love to work with um, <clears throat> people who are being trafficked. I'd love, what, what do you have a heart for? Um, uh, Janet and um, Christy uh, uh, are friends, and they love horses, and they love helping people. And so... They go and they work at Helen Woodward and they muck around in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the arena and in, in the stables to make it possible for people to have an incredibly powerful uh, transformational therapeutic experience. Uh, it, and it unites two things for them, right? They love horses and they love people. So what do you have a heart for? If you, could, if you had more time to spend on those things... Big, big question. These are super core questions, right? Because uh, what we have a heart for uh, shapes us. And what we have a heart for uh, gives the greatest expression of who we are. And, and, and it's easy, so easy for any of us to live a postponed life. Well, I, yeah, that's true, but I, once I get through this, or if I ever have enough time, I'll do that. But one of the things that's important for us to do is to say, right now, what is it and, and who is it that I have a heart for? And how do I make that a, a core piece of my life's architecture. Uh, we're, we're asking the question today about God, a heart for God, and that God's love changes and motivates our behavior. And so the first big idea of the morning is this. We are created to have a heart for God. It's, it's designed into our very being to have a heart for God. Made in his image, uh, unique, unrepeatable miracles of his workmanship, we are made to have a heart for God. 
And why, why can we say that? Because we see in the Bible that God has a heart for us. And basically having a heart for God is this. It's wanting to do what God wants you to do. Pretty simple to say it. Having a heart for God means wanting to do uh, what God wants you to do and figuring out what that is. Um, <clears throat> would you describe yourself as someone who has a heart for God? It's really the same process as describing having a heart for another person, and here's why, or having a heart for an issue, and here's why. There's some data that you can bring forward and say, here's why I have a heart for God. So it's not an announcement, ta-da, I've arrived, I have a heart for God. It's simply saying, you know, there's things about who God is and what God does that makes me want to do what God wants me to do. It makes me want to live into the fullest possibility of expression and experience of me being somebody made in his image. Uh, and so the Apostle Paul, formerly the Rabbi Saul, a set of King David, one of the epic people in, in, in uh, Jewish history, uh, arguably the greatest leader, greatest king in Jewish history, the one through whom it was promised that the Messiah would come. The Apostle Paul, speaking, looking back on David, said this, uh, God testified concerning him. God said this concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And then he tells us why. He will do everything I want him to do. We can fill in that sentence by saying, yeah, and he did some things you didn't want him to do. So what does that do to maybe change that sense that he was a man after your own heart. How can this be, considering David's adultery, murder, and lying? Uh, I won't go into the entire story, but David, when he should be leading, it says, when, when kings would go to war, uh, as if, oh, right on schedule, I, I, honey, I gotta go to war. He decides not to go to war, and he's sitting on a, standing on his roof, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing, and he says, I'd like to get to know her. Uh, somebody makes the introduction. They strike up uh, a very close uh, relationship, and he finds out that she's uh, pregnant, and this is a problem, of course. And uh, her husband, Uriah, is a general currently out at war. And David, to cover it up, I'm giving you the short version of it in case you've never heard this story, uh, says, hey, uh, how about if we put Uriah really close to where the action is and then pull everybody back? Uh, Uriah, predictably, is killed. Oh, it's really sad, horrible situation. Now life can go on, right? Uh, not really. How did David go off the rails like that if he had a heart for God? Big question, isn't it? Did he, did he invalidate that? If so, then why is Paul, looking back, way on the other side of all that, saying, oh yeah, let me quote the scripture for you. God himself says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. Well, James... The, the half-brother of Jesus, one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem in the first century, uh, makes this observation. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Uh, now, there's a moment for me uh, these days, uh, first thing of the day, as soon as I get a glimpse of myself in the mirror, I would like to forget what I saw. This is not that. Uh, this is about saying uh, we, we want to understand what God's revealed will is, his revealed word for us. And if we're not paying attention to that, 
uh, taking it lightly, we're, 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 we're deceiving ourselves. We're supposed to do what it says. Uh, not be like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Well, what does this have to do with David's sin regarding Bathsheba? I think James connects the dots for us in understanding what was going on with David. Uh, David's sin was pursuing his will rather than God's. David saying, ultimately, I have a heart for me and what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Uh, money, sex, power, whatever it is, prestige, uh, autonomy, uh, insularity. I don't want people to be able to get to me. Whatever the issue is, David's sin was pursuing his will rather than God's. And so, of course, he hurts himself, he hurts God. He hurts his family, he hurts Bathsheba, Uriah, he hurts the nation. Why? Why? Well, James gives us some insight. He had forgotten who he was and to whom he belonged. He knew he had a special relationship with God. He knew he enjoyed God's favor. He, he knew that he was called by God to do what he did. And yet, he had forgotten who he was and to whom he belonged. He was blinded by his own power and his own importance. He was isolated in his own needs and wants. None of those things are inherently bad, are they? You have power. You have importance. Own it. How, how do you handle that righteously, gracefully? Uh, you have needs. You have wants. There's no crime against that. No law against that. What's going on here? It's when we forget who we are and to whom we belong, we, we have the incredible and infinite capacity to rationalize almost anything. We can justify pretty much anything. I really feel so good about this. I've never felt more alive. I've never felt more connected to God. Uh, sometimes uh, people uh, have talked to me over the years, and they've said, you know, I got this dilemma. You know, I'm in, I'm in love with this person, and it's like I've never felt more alive, more in love. We, we, have, we, we share a faith. It's just so good. And, and as I'm getting to know him, if I already know him, I, I, I'd go to this more quickly, but as I'm getting to know him, I might finally figure out, hey, are you married? Right. But not to this lady you're talking about. Right. And usually what I'm called in as an expert is to validate the intensity of this beautiful thing. And I find myself in the awkward position of saying, hey, I, I, I'm hearing you talk about some very authentic, genuine needs and wants, what you want in your life, what you need in your life. Um, I'm also hearing you say you have this deep, deep bond with somebody, but what I'm hearing you say also is that this is an inherently unstable bond because you're violating a covenant to rationalize it. I'm not taking away your feelings. I'm not taking away your needs. I'm saying in the context of this, you're setting yourself up for disaster. And, and this is the challenge. Uh, David's motives and behaviors were compromised. He had set his heart on some things that were at cross purposes uh, with his heart for God and, and, and God's heart for him. And it was a slowly, slowly, suddenly scenario. This just didn't happen one afternoon on the rooftop. David had been, no doubt, in this process, progressively being distracted from the Lord, unaligned with the Lord, and feeling so aware of his own needs and his own power to meet those needs, 
had put himself in a place where his motives and his behavior were compromised. Have you ever experienced that? Can you relate to this at all? I mean, my gosh, this is a universal human situation. Slowly, slowly, suddenly. So many things are, are true like that in life. How does a company go under? Slowly, slowly, suddenly. How does a relationship end? Slowly, slowly, suddenly. And, and you can apply it across the board. And so God confronts uh, David through the prophet Nathan. And one of the things that God does because he has a heart for us is he confronts us, even as he comforts us. Uh, he confronts us in his word. You read the word of God and you go, oh my gosh, I am so out of alignment from this. Or, or somebody comes into your life and speaks God's words to you. Or, or you have a dream and God speaks to you in a dream. Or you have a sense of a hunch that God is speaking to you. And it's uncomfortable. But as you, as you lean in and listen to it, you say, you know what? God is trying to get my attention. And the more resistant we are, the, often the, the, the bigger the impact it is when we finally come to terms with what God's trying to say. So this happens for, God, for David with uh, Nathan. Uh, and before I, I read what he said, who do you allow to speak to your heart? Who has access to you in a way that they can speak to your heart? Who do you trust enough? Whose unconditional love and acceptance, positive regard for you, do you, do you trust enough to let them speak? And you know that they're not, they don't have an angle. They're not trying to whack you. They're not you know, some critical voice trying to hurt you. There's somebody who loves you and cares for you and knows you well enough to say, hey, I'm taking this risk because I love you, I care for you. Here's what I'm seeing. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Who's reminding you who you are and to whom you belong? Because I, I can tell you that every single one of us have the capacity to rationalize something that does not look like a person who has a heart for God. Even if we can answer all the questions correctly for qualifying. Yes, I know what the, I know what the, the details are, but uh, at the end of it, we would say, but mm, I guess we don't have that heart right now. And so here's the message from Nathan. Uh, Nathan comes in and tells David this incredible story about a, a man with a lamb, like a family member practically, a, a living adjacent to a person who had herds of, of sheep. And a guest comes in and the, you know, um, the hospitality expectation of the day is that, well, let's slaughter a lamb and have a feast for the, the visitor. And rather than take one from the herds, the wealthy family goes next door and plucks the little baby lamb, family member lamb, uh, pet of the, of the kids, and slaughters it. And so David hears this story, and it says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And he must have felt some righteous catharsis because he nailed it. It was exactly the right answer. Consistent with the law and the culture of his day. That was exactly it. He nailed it. He spoke prophetically and powerfully as only a king can do. And he just let it sit there. That's what I think. And I'm sure Nathan let it sit there for a little bit before he said, uh, and you are that man. You are that man. What a horrible moment. It's just cringeworthy. If you've ever had that, that moment of keen self-awareness that, oh my gosh, that's me. But I didn't mean it to be me. I did not want that to be me. 
I never expected to do that. How did I get into that? Oh, yeah, slowly, slowly, suddenly. So if the first big idea of the morning is that we're created to have a heart for God, the second is this. Repentance reveals our heart for God. Constantly turning back to God. Constantly saying, oh, my gosh, I, I need to regain my heart. I want to recapture my heart. I want to revive my heart. David wrote Psalm 51 in response to Nathan's message from God. Uh, it's a psalm of repentance. Uh, and and I, I, we don't have a, f- a slide on purpose. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read part of this psalm to you. Just let, meditate on this and let, let the word of God speak to you where you are in your life in, from Psalm 51. Uh, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, yet you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. What a powerful statement of I want my heart back. I want to stay close to the heart of God. Uh, he knew what he needed to do, and he did it, right? I have sinned against the Lord. And, 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 and he knew what he needed to do, and he repents. And this revealed his heart for God. This reveals our heart for God. A heart for God is about your connection and direction, not your perfection. It's about connecting with God and realigning in his direction. It's not about being perfect. It's it's about being uh, repenting, turning, constantly turning. Oh, Lord, I need to turn back to you. I need to realign with you. I need to go your way and stop going mine. May May my way be the same thing as yours. How are you turning your heart, your heart toward God? What do you need to repent of? What's nagging at you, making you feel like, oh, I, I can't even live up to my own expectations, never mind God's. Get over that. Put your heart out there to God and say, Lord, here's where I am. I, I pray you'd meet me here. 
And, and let this prayer, uh, this psalm, be your prayer. Because if we're created to have a heart for God, repentance reveals our heart for God. Our desire, our willingness to keep turning toward him. Hopefully with the support of people around us who say, hey, we're with you, we're for you. A heart for God is about connection and direction, not perfection. Progress now, perfection later. How are you doing in your connection with God and in the direction you're walking? <clears throat> so the third point is this. We develop a heart for God by opening our hearts to him and to one another. This is the practical next step. We develop a heart for God by opening our hearts to him and through him to one another. You can't do this in isolation. Yeah, it's just me and God. And it's not just if I had better friends or more of them. It's this combination. Why? Because our commitments shape us, our commitment to God and our commitment to people. You become what you commit yourself to. You become whom to whom you commit yourself. And so really, we're not walking through life looking for perfect friends, perfect spouses, perfect children. What we want is, is people who are connected to God and walking in his direction that we can walk with in, 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 in a transformational relationship based on the love of God and the love that we get to experience with each other. It's not an exclusive community. It's, a, it's an inclusive community, an ever-expanding network of people walking uh, with God. And so Jesus says it this way. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you get this right, you fulfill the law. That's a pretty big statement. If somebody said, hey, how do you think you can, is it possible even for anybody, but how could you fulfill all the law and the commandments of God's word? This was the quest of Israel. And they got so discouraged because it was so hard. It was always just out of reach, right? And so this is an uncanny response. It's counterintuitive. Okay, all those 613 commandments, all those messages from the various prophets and the judges, it comes down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and love other people as you're learning to love you. What it means then is we get to be learners in the school of love, not experts. We don't present ourselves as, well, now that I've mastered that, I'd like to interview you to see if you're worthy of being my friend, uh, if you can live up to my exalted expectations, but rather saying, ah, you too. That's what C.S. Lewis said was a sign of a friend, is that, oh, you too. Oh my gosh, you like to read? Uh, me too. You like that kind of literature? Me too. You like to do these things? The question I asked you at the very beginning, who do you have a heart for? It tends to be those people who resonate with you in ways you say, I just like being with them. They somehow uh, bring something out in me and I, I in them that is really good. It feels like a gift. It's why those issues that call out to you, you say, you know what, for everybody else, it looks like a scary, uncomfortable thing to do. For me, it feels like my heart has never felt more alive to come alongside this situation, these people. This is the power of love. It moves us from a feeling to a decision. To a commitment and a commitment that shapes us. You become more of you uh, the more this commitment works out in your life. And so loving God and loving one another is the basis for healthy, holy community. I use the word healthy because that's what our culture understands is a very attractive thing. Holy, not so much. I'll talk about that more uh, next week. 
But it's, it's when, and when something is inherently, truly, authentically holy, it's healthy. When something is really, really healthy, it somehow bumps up and puts us in that territory of the holy. You just feel better about it. And when you test that feeling, it's not just a feeling of one uh, rationalization after another justifying you doing your will. It somehow connects you to something that's inherently good and lines up with the order of creation. And the more you think about it, it leads me back to God. The sense of being healthy and holy, it always reconnects me with God. And so a heart for God and a mind for God is how we live with love and wisdom. We talked last week about having a mind for God. Today we're talking about having a heart for God. They're both uh, absolutely integral. To be a fully congruent human being, you have to have both. A loving and wise heart enables us to navigate the world and the church. It makes us willing to give ourselves in serving Christ by serving others. Why? Because we, get, we, we now are living in a larger context of who we are, what we're becoming, and why it all matters. And, and, and we learn to stop using people or abusing people and start loving people. We learn to stop hiding from God or, or rationalizing ourselves before God and saying, thank you for accepting me. Teach me how to love like you love. <clears throat> so, this is inherently conflictual, though. Why? Because the world is conflictual, as is the church. Why? Because it involves people. And so this is one of the things we confront right up, right up uh, front. When you read the Bible, from stem to stern, it's conflictual. And what we do in our culture when things are conflictual is we say, I don't like being around people who bum me out. I don't like being in situations that make me feel uncomfortable. Or inconvenient. Now, that's, a, that's great if you control your entire world, but the problem is the world you end up creating is so hermetically sealed, it may as well be the world's smallest prison. It becomes a cell, not a portal. This notion of learning to love like God loves us and learning to love one another like he loves us is a portal. It opens up a door. And all of a sudden, you can go anywhere and face anything Instead of trying to manage who has access to you, you simply get to say, Lord, I have access to you, and anything you want me to have access to, lead me and guide me. It changes everything about the way we live. We stop hiding, we start engaging. And so here's, here's Paul writing to the Romans. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Well, who were these people? And, and why do they keep popping up in the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament? Why do they pop up in the Gospels? Why do they pop up in Acts? Why do they pop up in every single letter in the New Testament? Why are these people constantly referenced? Who are they? Where, where's the love? Where's the wisdom? Some are deceiving and some are being deceived. Some are watching it all play out and wondering what to do. When I read that, I think, well, wait a minute. That's Paul's take on it. What if the people he's describing could read this? What would their reaction be to it? Would the deceivers or deceived recognize themselves in what Paul writes? And if they did, would they be offended and would they insist that they're really doing God's will? Uh, I don't know about you, uh, I do know about you, actually, 
All of us read stories about people doing good things, and we're always the good people. Unless we're super, super honest, and we really spend some time to think about it. Everybody's a good Samaritan. Can we all agree on that? Everybody's a good Samaritan. Uh, um, none of us would see ourselves in this. And yet, constantly, throughout the New Testament, we see Paul in his letters dealing with this situation. Who were these people? Where's the love? Where's the wisdom? And, and why? why? Why does the church have this? I thought, you know, once, once you had a church, everything comes together, and it's a beautiful kumbaya moment. The church is always vulnerable to, to disruption because we welcome everybody on purpose. We welcome everybody on purpose. We say, you are welcome here in the name of Jesus who loves you unconditionally. We say that to everybody. And to put some teeth in that, think of the people who you are most disgusted by. The people who just really, you have no patience for. You have big moral attitudes about. You have righteous indignation toward. And if they walked into this room, would you say, you are welcome here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you unconditionally. Could you say that? Think about the person you hate most politically or you hate most in terms of social media, things, uh, things that they've done, offenses they've made, and if they walked in the room, would you say, I'm not sure you belong here. Or, boy, I'm glad you're here. I really have some things I have to say to you. Or would you say, you know, you're welcome. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves you unconditionally. This is, our, this, is our, this is our orientation to all people at all times in all places. I haven't said that. We're not naive. Right? And we don't deceive. We don't simply say, can't we all just get along? Now they're all here. Can't we all just get along? No. What we say is, can't we all just get a clue? Can't we all just start to understand what it means to be a flawed human being, addressing our sins, loving each other in the midst of those sins, and by God's grace, calling out uh, out of one another the love that he has for us that we bear in the very image of having been made in his image. We are created to have a heart for God. Repentance reveals a heart, reveals a heart for God. We develop that heart by opening our hearts to him and to one another. That's the process. That's the process that causes us to say the church is the hope of the world. Because everybody's invited in. And, and as soon as the defecation hits the ventilation, we say, uh-oh, better shut down the church. No. We say, this is why the church exists. This is why the church exists. The church of Jesus Christ is always resilient when rooted in righteous love. And righteous love doesn't mean pretending we have it all together. Righteousness is simply being rightly related to God and people. To putting ourselves in that place of learning to be rightly related to God and people. It's like, a, it's like what makes a marriage, even a difficult marriage work, a willing man, a willing woman. If they're both willing, that marriage will last. If people are willing to learn how to love like God loves them, worlds open up. Now, at some point, those people say, no, I want to be a continuous disruptive presence. Paul's saying, well, then keep away from them. But even then, we don't write people off. How do you handle disruptors and deceivers? How do we counsel the naive? Well, deceivers, we, we correct them, we confront them, or we keep away from them. But we always love them, and we always bless them in Jesus' name. 
Why? Because we're not their judge, God is. We're simply people saying, I'm learning and I want to learn how to walk in the love of God because I think that's the only hope for any of us. And so how do, we, how do we approach the deceivers, whoever they might be? We say, let's correct them if possible. Let's confront them. And, and, and if they're constantly disrupting, we say, okay, we need to keep away from them. But the door is always open. Think about your family. There might be somebody in your family who causes constant disruption and pain and agony. You think, dear God, I can't go to one more Thanksgiving. I pray they, just, I, I pray they, cancel, they cancel Christmas this year. At some point, somebody needs to sit down with them and say, look, we, you're part of this family. We love you. What would it look like for us to have a, a, a gathering where we're not at each other's throats? What would that take for you, for us? How do we build that together? And, and if there's no progress, you say, you know, maybe we should just not share that meal together. But if, if, if we can work on some things before the next one, maybe we can pull it together. Most Christians go, oh, can't we just all get along? Right. But first we have to get righteous. We have to get real. And real immediately connects us to the love of God in Christ. What would we say to the naive? Well, we'd say, hey, uh, be wise, be discerning in your trust. Got to be a little bit more smart about who you're trusting. But remain generous in your love. One of the beautiful things about naive people, naive people are just people who are undeveloped. They don't know what they don't know. And they start with a really great basis that I need to love people, right? But we need an informed love. A mind for God as well as a heart for God. And so naive people, which all of us start out as being naive people, if we, if we grow in love, we, we grow from being naive people to wise people. If we don't grow in love, naive people become cynical people. I never trust anyone. I don't give you the time of day. I know you're lying because your lips are moving. But what we want to do is to say to the naive people, be wise and discerning in your trust and remain generous in your love. And when you find out things about people that are shocking to you, that maybe you've been hurt or betrayed or burned, just don't stop loving at that point. Lean in. Just be wiser in the way you love. And then to everybody we say, we all need godly wisdom and discernment wrapped in love. Why would we even want to do this? The reason we want to do this is this is what we were created for, to experience the love of God in Christ in community. That's why all those letters in the New Testament can consistently have this stuff in it. Be aware, this is the human condition. When Paul was having his last words with the people in Ephesus, he spent a lot of time with them. And they met down at the harbor, not in Ephesus proper, but in a harbor a, a few miles away. And he says, he's going to get on a ship. He says, you know, we're never going to see each other again, at which point they all started crying. And they're hugging and crying, going, what do you mean we'll never see each other again? And he said, we're not going to see each other again. But the example I've left for you Keep it in mind, these, these great leaders you have, stay strong and stay focused on Christ. Continue to have a heart for God because people will come in. And he describes people like this again. And, 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 and the inherent message of this is these people will come in and you need to be strong. But you need to be loving because there's a chance that they would turn, their hearts would turn toward God and turn toward you. Lincoln's Secretary of State said, Mr. Lincoln, you've got to destroy your enemies. His cabinet was filled with them. He said, right, I am. I'm making them my friends. Naive, maybe, or super wise, probably. And so Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. 
Jesus' love is a standard by which we evaluate our motives and our behavior. You can only control your motives and your behavior. It's really unwise to even presume you understand what somebody else's motives are, though you can't see their behavior. All behavior is meaningful. There, that is, we, we, there's some reason for people's behavior. It might be wacky or might be consistent with their values. In any case, you don't know their motive. You see their behavior. You are the only one who can actually control your motives and your behavior. And Jesus' love is a standard by which we do that. He was humble, gentle, compassionate, honest, respectful, righteous, kind. And so I ask you these questions. Do you bring Jesus' love with you when you enter the room? Is there a sense that Jesus just came in the room? Not by pretension, you know, oh, the Lord's here, but rather by saying, I'm here. And by your demeanor, by your words, by your openness, by your presence, people say, thank God he's here. Thank God she's here. Versus, oh, they're here. Oh, they're here. Are you living to unite the body of Christ and build up people in his love? This is the call of God to each one of us. If we want to have a heart for him, it goes without saying, but I will say it, we need to develop a heart for one another. We need to be the people that if we walk in the room, somebody might say, we disagree on everything, but man, I love her. I trust him. I'm willing to listen to her. I'm willing to be open to him because whenever they talk, I sense the Lord speaking. And when I push back, I sense them trying to understand where I'm coming from. And it's like we move forward every time we talk. We're building something together that's really attractive. And now I can't imagine not being in the room with them. Do you have that experience with people? If you have, you know how powerful that is. It's one of the great gifts of life to be in a room of people like that. Different, quirky. Maybe somebody else would walk in new to the whole thing and go, oh, I'm sorry, I fell into the Star Wars bar scene. It's the quirkiest looking group of people I've ever seen. And we'd want to stop and say, no, 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 man, you don't even know. These people are awesome. So if this describes you, you are a person after God's own heart. It's not a boast, it's a confession. I desire to be a person after God's own heart. It's only possible because he loves me so much that he came to demonstrate his love for me. And he's given me the incredible gift of demonstrating his love for others, just as he's demonstrated it for me. Thank you and bless you for being that kind of a person. Every family, every marriage, every community, every church needs you. Needs you, 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 you. You are essential to what God wants to do to build people who reflect him wherever they go in the world. You will be a river in the desert. You'll bring refreshment and life wherever you go. You are the hope of the world. Christ in you, the hope of the world. This is what it means to have a heart for God. Thank you for having a heart for God. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for having a heart for us. We thank you that your heart is open wide to us in all of our sin, all of our confusion, all of our contradictions and hypocrisy, all in our mixed motives and confused behaviors. And so, Lord, we pray that your love would continue to work out in us individually and as a community, that we would be shaped by your love, conformed to your character, 
empowered by your spirit to love others as you have loved us. Not just in feelings that come and go, but in a deep, deep commitment to learn how to love as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's continue worshiping the Lord as the offering of the morning is now received. If you're visiting with us today, um, we don't want to impose this on you, but if you'd like to contribute, great. Basically, this is us saying, Lord, we're returning to you uh, what you've entrusted to us. The primary part of that being your heart. Just to